Stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Hello, hello, everyone, and thank you for coming back to our podcast, Raising Joy. Aren't you grateful when people listen? Yes. And when people tell you they listen. Yes, that is a lot of fun. It's amazing to me. I'm I'm, always a little shocked. I'm not going to lie. I am. I am. I think I'm speaking to the void sometimes. (laughs) I just pretend that way. No, more and more people. Okay. More and more people tell me. They, They listen all the time. I'm Winnie King, Senior Vice President of... Communications, inclusion, diversity, and equity. They just gave me a whole bunch of work. <laughs> that's, that's all that is. It's a long title, but that's what they did. And I'm joined by... Me. Hey, I'm Kristen Perch. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Cook. Yeah, there you go. We work together. Yeah, it's great. Do. An awesome thing. Collaboration. That's one of our values. That's right. <laughs> we, have a new, we have new ones. Yeah, we have new values. So anyway, we're talking to some good folks today. We are. But do you want to tell us about what's <gasps> oh, been bringing oh, you joy? Yes. Oh, let me tell you what's brought me joy. Oh, I my hear it, gosh. Oh, my gosh. So this year, you know, I bought a home uh, about a year ago and I made the decision to um, decorate. Yay. Now, I, I had someone help me with the decoration of the home, but I wanted somebody to help me with decorating for Chris. Okay. Okay. Wait, wait. Okay. Do tell. Yes. So a friend of mine, shout out to Jackie. Um, she came over and she helped me with my tablescape. That's a Ooh. thing, you know, tablescape, you know, where you just create this wonderful scene on your dining room table. And she came over and it's furry runner that looks like snow and these uh, reindeers, the brass reindeer. And then they've got the cones that look like Christmas tree. Yay! And she's hanging ribbon and balls from the, from yes. the light fixture. I mean, it is just glorious. and. And then she brought some wreaths in and she brought us, brought me Santa's and she's right putting bows all on the light fixtures. It, it's so cute. And we're not done. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear it. Cause I told her, I said, I love this. I love it, but I want more. <laughs> it ain't enough. <laughs> and baby, I want it dripping sh- from the ceiling. <laughs> I should have known that's where this was headed. Yeah, I want more. So she's coming over this weekend. So I yeah, love that. Yeah, I, I'm so excited. I, you know, I don't do well decorating one, and I surely don't do well decorating for Christmas. It looks gaudy when I do it. But that can be fun. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you know, you want to look sophisticated. You want it okay. to look elegant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's helped me with elegance. I love that. I love decorating. Because it does bring me joy. Yeah. It's a nice distraction. My, um, I went a little overboard for Halloween. Oh, did you? And my you? old, well, for my outdoor decor. Yeah, I, was I did told see that. I remember There that. was a okay. fog machine. My <laughs> eight-year-old. You did not. I, but I did. My eight-year-old accused me of being extra. And I was like, guilty, speedy, mm, as charged. charged. Mm-hmm. And, and baby, I'm all right with that. It brings me. And she was like, why do you do this? I was like, because it brings me joy. It's yeah. a welcome distraction. And just breathe, open up. Yeah. Better. That's right. <laughs> That's what I'm going to tell her. Well, we have some great guests we're going to talk to today. Some pals, Miss Jennifer Horn and Mr. Alex Fayer. They are both from Cook Children. So Jennifer is a nurse on the quality and safety team. And Alex is a nurse manager on our inpatient psychiatry unit. Mm -hmm. Welcome, guys. 
And they both have their hands in leading Cook Children's response to the mental health crisis affecting our patients. Yes. There's a lot to talk about. We got a lot to unpack. Open up that suitcase, baby, and pull out <laughs> the stuff because we have a lot to unpack about that. Yeah. So what? So, Jennifer, I know that you sort of headed up um, the behavioral health screening tool. So what what is that? Like where who gets it? Like, what is this? So the screening tool was something that we developed to begin talking to our families early about maybe some possible triggers, some issues we could encounter in the hospital environment. We all know the hospital is scary, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> even, even if you don't um, have any underlying behavioral issues, even, um, I mean, it's just scary for yeah, anybody. Everybody's stressed. Especially for children. Right. So being able to talk to the families early about hey, we know that all children may struggle in this hospital environment. Well, how does your child react when they get upset? And if they are at risk of having some of those more risk behaviors, such as hitting, kicking, biting, we'll ask who's that behavior directed towards. Mm -hmm. And if it's directed towards other adults, that allows us to make a plan and talk to the family and say, hey, what are some of those things that your child really struggles with? What are some things that we can do to modify the hospital environment to make it a little bit easier for them. And once they are already upset, how do we best calm them down? So this is mainly for inpatient, those who come in and are admitted. Yes, patients who are admitted and over four years old. Ooh, four. I love that. Well, I also love that you have that talk before there's an issue because like whenever the kids like kicking, screaming, losing it because they don't want another blood draw, like... How do you calm them down? Like, you miss that. You miss the window. Yeah. Like, you need to catch them before they're out of 10. Right. Like, you need to catch them, like, four, five, six, like, when they're heating up. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I'm so glad that they have that screen to say, hey. So you're asking questions. They're giving you the answers. And you're kind of looking at it and saying, okay, this child has a high potential for being a little aggressive. Um, how did you develop the tool? Trial and error, basically. <laughs> well, the best way. Yeah, so we're um, in a collaborative with children's hospitals across the country. It's called Solutions for Patient Safety. So we looked to them and said, hey, what are other hospitals doing? And we started trying out different things. You know, we started by just asking, you know, is your child aggressive? Well, that didn't really feel right to yeah, us. Yeah. Like, no, what is my, aggressive? Not or, my little Johnny. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're like, okay, that tool is not going to work for us. Um, then we tried a scoring tool. And we're like, man, our staff just cannot handle one more score, one more number that they have to remember. Mm -hmm. um, and we kept on trying and going back to staff and having them test tools on paper and, and try them out with families and say, hey, is this working? And we eventually landed on this tool because it's just really simple. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody can answer it. It doesn't matter your child's age, their developmental level. Mm -hmm. We're just asking for your kiddo, how do they react mm -hmm. when they get upset? Mm -hmm. And so it felt the most right to us. It felt the most compassionate, you know, it's not labeling. We're not labeling these children as aggressive. We are asking how do they upset, respond when they get upset? And we're putting in a behavior support plan. So that's why we call it. What can we do to support them in the hospital environment? Right. And, and it could be like, what can we change? It's kind of like um, at school, we have individualized educational plans, right? So this is like an individual behavior plan for a kiddo who's like stressed, hurting, anxious, like what's going on? Why are these things going off? Like it's super stressful for a kiddo. And when we were looking at examples of other behavior plans from other hospitals, a lot of the things that were already in those plans were things that our staff knew how to do, right? Mm -hmm. Clustering care, minimizing the lights, minimizing the noise, mm. you know, 
just preparing them for procedures, letting them know what's coming up next, building a schedule. So it was things that our staff already knew how to do, but I think we weren't doing a good job of applying those in these patient situations. And so just trying to connect those dots a little bit between, hey, you can use these tools that you already know to make this day better for this child. Alex, it it sounds like there was stuff going on in the hospital that kind of got you guys to that part or got to it like, we better start looking at this. Is that right? Yeah. And and kind of moving back to, to some of the stuff Jennifer was talking about, before I moved into inpatient psychiatry, they had started to test this tool on a couple of units. And, mm-hmm. and I was engaged in some of that that process. And to to further up what she was saying, it was useful. And we asked for it as a staff as a result of injuries or situations popping up that we didn't quite know how to handle, that we mm-hmm. didn't have expertise in because we didn't have psychiatric training or maybe the, the CPI training that our psychiatric staff gets. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the point that Jennifer makes that is really applicable to staff is we've created this support plan and here are the assets that you as a nurse already have that you know how to do that will head some of that aggression off before it becomes a 10, as Kristen said. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's stuff we already know. Mm. Um, so shining a light on, you're scared of this kid because they told you that he's going to bite you anytime you stick him with an IV. Um, but if you just cluster your care and give him a warning ahead of time, it's never going to happen. Mm. Um, so from a preventative standpoint, even for kids that aren't there for a primary psych diagnosis, that is helpful on the front end. Yeah. Don't wake me up with a needle. Exactly. As you were alluding to, <laughs> we don't always catch it on the front end. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it's not like kids are like, I mean, they can come in perfectly calm and normal, but have like severe needle phobia or, mm-hmm. and lose, you know, and absolutely lose it, you know, like lose their mind. But we were seeing some of that, right? We were seeing yes. kids become a little more aggressive. Was it, you know, happening more often than, you know, it was 10 years ago or... Were we not just handling it well, or what was the situation? At least from my perspective, it, it comes from a combination of things, and, and I don't have the, the statistics in front of me. Yeah. Dr. Perch, you may remember the numbers better than I do, but I do know that over the last several years, just looking at um, patients with an ingestion or a suicide attempt or something like that oh, being admitted to, admitted to the medical floors, um, it, it was 40 or 50% increase year over year. Um, over the last couple of years, the pandemic, of course, influenced some of that. There, I heard you guys talking earlier about the, the number of factors that kind of play into that. Um, but that's just patients that at least our nursing staff would typically view as sad but content, meaning, okay. meaning that we can treat them, they're here, they're depressed, they're probably not going to cause us any behavioral issues. Um, but over time, that increase in, in the suicidal patients came with an increase in higher acuity behavioral patients that were wow. struggling at school, that, that wow. were struggling um, and needed inpatient psych beds. The beds in the community didn't increase. Some of our, our state-supported residential cares, uh, uh, their bed status decreased because of the pandemic, because we couldn't cohabitate anymore. Um, and so all of that got backed up onto us. Um, moving from there, even then some of these depressed kids that typically we would classify as like sad, but content is, is kind of what you would hear. Um, some of them would get so anxious in the hospital. I can recall one that I took care of, um, that, that had such a need 
to end her life that she ripped out her IV, which was giving her um, uh, antidote for for a Tylenol overdose, Mm -hmm. um, attacked our our sitter through a a bedside table, and uh, we had to restrain her, and then I had to go in there and and calm her down. This was back when I was still a bedside nurse. And that is the kind of unexpected thing that we were seeing, right? We've, Mm -hmm. We've treated... Plenty of these kids before, sure. we give them the antidote, they get better, we move them to an inpatient psych facility, but we would never have escalations from that kind of kid, or if we did, it was really rare. And we started seeing more and more of that as well. So we're seeing an increase in acuity of behavioral patients, we're seeing an increase in acuity and anxiety from these kids that typically would be sad and content. And then on top of that, the support that you get for kids that are in IEP or in special education classes because of the pandemic, they can't go to special education anymore. And those kids that need a significant amount of behavioral support, then the parents are getting overwhelmed. We don't know what to do. They broke a window in our house. They ran out into the street and they're in our medical center. And now we have to support them. And we're placing all of these kids onto staff that That know less than the parents do realistically Mm -hmm. on how to help these kids. Um, And so we, needed to come up with a way to better just support our staff because staff were getting injured, um, help our kids because some kids were getting injured as a result of their behaviors. Um, and, and that's kind of how we spun out from recognizing this need for the behavioral health screen, which occurred before the pandemic, to now, okay, we've got the preventative. We don't have the reactionary side of things where okay. we need more help. And that's where the BERT team kind of came in. So and their response it, team? Yes, it stands for Behavioral Emergency Response Team. Um, it is staffed by one of our program specialists on the inpatient psychiatry unit. Mm-hmm. Um, security also will respond. Um, and then we also have our chaplain group um, come down to respond as well. And their goal is not necessarily to help with the behavior of the patient, but to narrate for the parent exactly what What's is going on. Um, it, it, I'm, I don't know. I know you have kids, Kristen. Do you have kids, Winnie? Yeah, he's old. Um, <laughs> so, so when your child was, let's say, 10 years old, mm-hmm. um, let's imagine that he's thrown something and then suddenly a 33-year-old large male stranger comes into the room yeah. and puts him in a restraint. Okay. How are you as a mother going to feel about that? I'm climbing his back. panic yeah and and you have lots of questions who's this strange guy touching my kid what Mm -hmm. is he doing is everything safe this is a crazy situation yeah now now change your son to a 12 year old female and you have an adult male coming in somewhere like that so the chaplains what their role is is to narrate exactly what's happening to the parent and say this is a safe hold this is the technique that they're using this is why they're doing it so that we can de-escalate that parental reaction that we know is going to come because i'm screaming at this point if i'm not it's totally reasonable right that's a reasonable reaction for a parent to have in a situation like that for my kid in the hospital exactly um so, so we have a really good approach, mm-hmm. um, and and we've we've had some good successes. the The story that I told on a presentation that we gave to SPS is the first week we rolled it out. Um, we had a patient the day before rollout happened that came into the hospital um, for she was swallowing all kinds of things as an effort for uh, uh, self injury, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, during her stay, she broke a, a bristle comb in half mm-hmm. and swallowed half of the comb. For the love um, of hate. I mean, th- things that you don't even think about. <laughs> but that first day, uh, before Bert rolled out, she 
really significantly injured a nurse during an escalation. Oh. Um, and I don't remember exactly what happened, but I know that nurse had to be out of work for several days. Um, when we rolled Bird out the next day, we were able to respond to her on five, six, seven occasions over the course of the week that she was with us. Um, I think we only had one restraint. We didn't have another instance of injury. Um, the child was able to rip something off the wall and swallow a screw, I believe, but we were able to get to it quickly. Um, so I, I don't have any data to support what that impact is. But because it's still new. It's very new. But, but the thing that I, I rest my hat on is we had this same patient who hurt a full-grown adult mm -hmm. quickly. Mm -hmm. um, ended up in several situations where that it could have escalated to that point. But I think as a result of our team, it maybe didn't. Mm. So maybe in the immediate period, that team prevented an injury, which is good. Um, maybe even longer term, we prevented some stress, some strain, some trauma on the staff um, caring for that patient. Um, so the downstream effects, you know, we haven't been around long enough to figure out what those are. Mm -hmm. But just taking that story into a broader context, because there are now five or six more like it. I like to think that we are preventing a lot more downstream mm. effects too. Well, and I mean, also you think about the hospital is not built for behavioral health patients at all in any way. I can't tell you how many patients I've seen on the medical floor who do all kinds of unsafe things. And I walk in a lot of times to hospital, like the main hospital rooms, and my anxiety just goes up because I'm looking at, okay, a kid could stick their head through that it, because... When he, the way the psych units are built, you can't. There's none of these things. Yeah, yeah. Like there's, all of all of the curtains are tear away. Mm -hmm. There's not even a the door doesn't even have a corner mm -hmm. so that no one can put something over it. Like there's there's it's no. It's built for everything that that for, audience because <laughs> that because we can't predict what a kid is gonna yeah. do, and so we have to do everything we can to keep it safe. But that's not what our hospital is built for, right? They're built to take care of like kids with an appendicitis mm -hmm. or kids with, with an RSV, injury, flu, mm -hmm. like all those things. And so you walk into the room, there's a thousand ways to hurt themselves. And so, you know, like you put a stressed kid and then they're now needing a medical procedure on a floor that's not built for it with a nurse mm. who didn't, who no. didn't, who's not a psych nurse, right? Mm -mm. Like that's not her passion. And so, and she didn't get the training that we have had. Like we get extensive training on like de-escalating techniques. And so, I think before it really kind of was a recipe for these, you know, oh, like, yeah. like bad, you know, like bad things to happen. And I just, I think it's really important. And I think it's so great of Cook to like, look at it from a patient safety standpoint and make sure like, how, how do we get the the folks who are really trained in deescalating kiddos? How do we get them there so that they can deescalate? And so we can avoid the restraint, so we can avoid the staff injury, so we can avoid the injury of the kiddo. Like that's, so important. Yeah, the, the analogy that I've often used with, with some of the med surge nurses that particularly at the beginning that didn't quite understand why, we, and we do proactive rounding, by the way, for the, for the BERT team. So if we've identified these patients ahead of time, either through Jennifer's behavior risk screen tool, or um, if they have a sitter ordered, we will send our BERT staff member to go meet that patient before something happens and talk mm -hmm. to them and build a little bit of a rapport to get to know them so that if we mm -hmm. do have to deescalate, we already have some strategies in place, um, which has proved to be helpful. But the, the, as I was introducing this to staff, the analogy that I gave them again, coming from working on a med floor is 
after working for so long with babies with RSV, for example, I know what the signs of decompensation look like, right? I know that head bobbing is a problem. I know that retractions in the lungs are indications that Mm -hmm. this child might need more oxygen Mm -hmm. or maybe needs a PICU bed. Um, When you have a kid that's starting to escalate and you have somebody who's not trained, they might think, oh, he's just a little irritated because his food's here late. You know, that's it's it's all, you know. Right. Or, you know, it's, it's a discipline problem or there's a hundred different things, but they're missing what that could lead to or what that sign actually means for that particular kid. And you get an expert in that situation that says, well, you, you think that child is just nodding his head at you, but actually this is head bobbing and it's a serious respiratory concern. It's the same thing as somebody saying, okay, you think he's irritated because his food's not here. He's actually irritated because mom left and all of this other stuff going on in their social life, and he had this traumatic event, and now his food's not here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see, and that it is the, building it on itself. That's the straw. Mm-hmm. That's the straw breaking the back. And I think whenever you come at it from the patient's perspective of, okay, like let's support all these extra things, it's a very different perspective than, oh, he's just irritated because his food was late and it was cold. Like you respond to that by like rolling your eyes. It's like, wait, there's more. Mm-hmm. Like the context. There's a lot more to that story. Mm. Yes. Mm. And when you have children who are bigger and then really, mm-hmm. you know, using muscle, mm-hmm. that's that's a lot. And we have to protect not only the patients, but we have to protect our, our, our employees, our poor staff. It's not hard enough, but we've got to wrestle to the floor. I mean, I'm so, OK, so you've got chaplains involved. Does child life get involved in this at all? Um, child life does get involved. Um, they are really helpful in their proactive measures. So trying to make sure we have activities for these kiddos, right? A lot of our escalations are frankly out of boredom. They're in the hospital. We're really? not giving them enough things to do really? and they're bored. And so child life has been fantastic. They've created a list of safe play items for us. So staff can reference that and mm-hmm. see what is safe for the child to have. What do we maybe need to think? Uh, is mm-hmm. this good for this kiddo? And then what's completely not safe? Because I think our staff were really just reacting out of fear mm-hmm. and saying, oh, this kiddo could hurt themselves or others. We can't let them have anything. Yeah. And then the end result um, was a lot of times not good for that patient. So mm-hmm. they've been very, very helpful. And then as far as like the behavioral emergency response, we have said, you know, if they have a rapport with that kiddo. They, they can bring it in. Yeah, they, they can, can certainly come, come and be a part of that response. That's what you don't want it. You don't want security there with guns. <laughs> Mm-mm. That's so scary. Mm-hmm. Well, we do have them disarm anytime they they respond. So do we have they? we have lock boxes now placed at least in the main building. And if they're not there already, I know that they have they're working on getting them in the other towers as well. Okay. So if they hear a BERT emergency call okay. before they respond, they are they, disarming their weapons. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And not because we think our security team is going to like use the no, weapon. No, 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 no. It's because it's, it intimidates the kiddo. It does. And it, it just raises the well, anxiety of everybody. Even, even further than that, we've had a couple that, that we've responded to prior to these lockboxes getting out where we had a, a child lunge for their weapon because they were suicidal. Oh, So it's God. it's really a danger to the child just the presence of the weapon being there. Not that the security officer is going to use them, it. No, 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 no. But, but that they're there and mm-hmm. potentially accessible if things go wrong. Yeah. Do they have to have certain certain training? They do. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, our, our our BERT responders. So as I mentioned, they're all program specialists that are on our unit. Um, so we give them all of our program specialist training that includes very specific de-escalation training, 
um, training with Trust-Based Relational Intervention, which is a trauma-informed care program that was developed at the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development over at TCU, which is, is a wonderful way for us to communicate and de-escalate children uh, that come from hard places is the phrase that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, something in the neighborhood, at least on inpatient psychiatry, uh, around like 90, 92, 95% of the kids that we treat have some form of trauma in their background. And so figuring out how to communicate and talk to a child whose brain chemistry has literally been altered by their experiences Mm. is really, really important. So they have that training. They also have CPI training, which is how to de-escalate and then safely restrain a patient in the event that they need it. Um, And so having those two things together, um, creating a muscle, so Mm. to speak, and the fact that they are on the inpatient psychiatry unit exercising that muscle regularly so that they know how to use it when they need it is the important part. We, a good portion of our nurses in PCTs have CPI training, mm-hmm. um, but that's only useful for a couple of weeks after the training. And then if they don't use it, that muscle atrophies, so to yeah. speak, right? Let me tell you, these program specialists on our unit are saints and they use it every day. They use that like de-escalation training. I mean, saints guys, I'm telling you, but I, I will say also, I mean, there's, we admit a lot of, of kiddos on our unit who are aggressive. And so whenever that happens, a lot of times they're monitored one-to-one. So they're going to be one kiddo, one staff member <laughs> while they're awake. And the point is to de-escalate. So they're going to do all of these things. Like they're going to learn what their triggers are, what's good to help de-escalate that. How do they distract? What, what are all the different ways? And the whole goal is to prevent any need for like restraints or anything like that. And I think when you think about a child inpatient psychiatry unit, if I thought about it, I would just think about like chaos, the zoo, mm-hmm. but that's actually not what it's like. I mean, it's pretty calm, but I attribute this to the work of our nurses and our program specialists because they are experts in yeah. child behavior and keeping everything calm. Yeah. So it's, it's incredible. But, and you think about it, right? Like how much healing or how much work can a kid do? How much better can they get if they're in chaos? Like they can't. And so like creating that safe place for them to be able to use their coping skills and learn new things, like that's kind of the point of our unit. Yeah, yeah. The, the tenet that's taught in TBRI is, is a lot of people grew up with the idea that a child does well if it can, right? It's a, it's a choice. And, and they say that statement's bogus. Hmm. Uh, uh, a child only does well if it's given the environment to succeed, okay. right? So it's not, I do well if I want to. Mm-hmm. It's I do well if I can. Right. Um, every child wants to do mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Yep. Whether, whether or not they can is the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And we just support them in that. It, it may seem obvious, but tell me why this work is so important to the both of you. Um, I'm just always wanting to support our employees. Thinking about when I got started on this project and my boss said, hey, you're going to be leading up this behavioral events work. I said, okay. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Let's do it. I love a challenge. And I had just come from bedside like Alex. And I remember she said, hey, we had um, a patient care tech that was bit on the unit you know, what, what would you have done in that situation? And I just looked at her and said, try not to get bit, right? I didn't have anything else to turn like back to. And, you know, in the early days of this work, going around and talking to staff and them just feeling stuck, right? Mm. They're stuck with this patient. They didn't have the tools. They didn't know 
how to best respond and they felt stuck. And so I'm really proud of the work that we've done. And I hope that they at least feel a little bit unstuck and they have more resources and they even have really simple things like checklists to make sure the room's safe, right? So they're not put in a situation where a child that has something that's unsafe for themselves or towards others. And so it's been really simple work and really complicated work Mm -hmm. all at the same time. But I think the end result is really supporting our staff so they don't feel stuck in these situations. They know where their resources are. And in turn, we're creating a better patient or environment for these patients. Because again, they don't want to be escalated. They don't want to be upset, right? So how can we just make the environment better for everybody? Mm -hmm. And and I think for me, the the easy tie-in is to go back to Cook Children's Promise, which is Mm. every child's life is sacred, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at all of our other service lines prior to, to this kind of rollout, you know, we had an endocrinology unit, we've got a cardiac surgery unit, we've got a regular surgery unit, we've got a PICU, we've got an EMU, we've got all of these service lines Mm -hmm. filled with experts that can manage a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, we do have an inpatient psychiatry unit, but its numbers are limited. The beds in the community are also limited. limited. And so we had all of this spillover, and that spillover was not being taken care of in the full spectrum Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. experts. Mm -hmm. So... In doing that, really, all we're doing is meeting our promise, right? We're saying, we're saying that this child is not going to fall through the cracks as much as we can help it, and we are going to take care of our staff and the kids in process when something happens that the people that aren't experts don't know how to handle, right? And we would do the same thing when I worked on the endocrine unit if, if a child with an insulin pump needed surgery and ended sure. up on the surgery unit. They don't know how to work an insulin pump, so we'd go help them. Yeah. It just makes sense for us to mm-hmm. go help somebody that doesn't have the tools that they need. Mm. I love that. Me too. I do love that. That's, that's incredible. Yep. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming. Well, thank you all for having us. We have a tradition, and you have to tell us what you're grateful for. Who wants to go first? I can go first. Let's do it. I'm ready. I'm really grateful about being able to get together in person again this year for the <laughs> holidays. Oh, no. Right That's before very true. coming over here, we just had um, in my office a little dessert hour where everyone brought desserts and we got together in person and just thinking about the holidays and Thanksgiving next week and not having to weigh the pros and cons of mm-hmm. getting together with family. That is just a pro, right? We mm-hmm. can just get together this year without weighing the risk. And wow. that is, I'm very grateful for okay. that. Yeah. And I would say on a large scale, and this can be applied in a lot of different areas that I am thankful for support because I think our department and Jennifer in quality have experienced through the, the process of building all of this, nothing but support from our immediate leadership, from our senior leadership, from physicians, from, from everything else, um, and not having to fight for that mm. has just made everything so much easier. Mm. You know, when we, when we talk about these things that just seem to make sense and things that are the right thing to do, it's nice for somebody to just say, okay. yeah, it is the right thing to do and we're going to do it. Yeah. That is Cook Children's, isn't it? I know. <laughs> In something... Anything in behavioral health is incredibly expensive because it's very poorly reimbursed. And so any sort of growth or development in behavioral health has been, has come at a cost. So um, for, and I I feel like whenever I started at Cook, I realized because of the amount of time I had with my patients and things like that, I was like, oh, right. They're real about this. Like they really do care about patient safety and quality care. Um, And so that's, 
I, I, I have seen that over and over again, that they really do care about that and they value it because they put like there, there is no re- revenue benefited yeah, from no, any of this. Yeah, we're not right? making money. <laughs> no. And that's not the point, right? No, the point is not. to be safe and um, to provide the best care we can. And so, remember that that child's. That's yeah, right. Yeah. They, they believe it. Yep. yep we do. So I am going to be grateful for my oldest daughter. I know. So she's turning eight and um, she's the one who made me a mom. And um, I may be the extra mom, but I'm happy to do it and embarrass her on occasion because that's my job. Yeah. You're supposed to be extra. Mm -hmm. Okay. She's the best. She makes me a better person. That's good. Yeah. Well, in the same vein, I'm, I'm really grateful for family. I'm, I'm single. I have a, an older son who's, living his life, but I am so grateful for family and, and us being able to gather much like you were saying, Jennifer, that we don't have to worry about it because we've got, you know, small kids and little kids and bigger kids in our family. And we're planning to all get together, all 20 of us. And I, at my house, thank you. (laughs) Wow. Bless you. Which is why I'm decorating. But, um, it is, um, it is such a blessing and such uh, an incredible um, feeling of support, like you said, um, Alex, it's, it's a great, and I can call my sister anytime and she's like, Oh, here we go. You know, <laughs> and, and I am venting and, and, but it's just, it's really good to have that, that safe space to be able to talk and be supported and people just really say, okay, I got you. And root for you. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah. Really. And, and, and mean it yeah. and really mean it. So really yeah. happy for that support. So. Well, thank you to our listeners for listening today to Raising Joy. And just remember. Until next time, just breathe. Open up. You matter. You matter.